You're listening to the Look Right Naked podcast. I'm your host, Eric Bach. This is the podcast for men and women who want to look right naked without living in the gym. If that sounds like you, then you're in the right place. Let's dive in. Hey, what is going on? Eric Bach here with the Look Right Naked podcast. And today I'm thrilled to bring my good friend and coach from Canada, Andrew Coates. With over 20,000 hours of experience and tons of writing experience from major publications from Muscle and Strength, Men's Health, T Nation, where we connected a long time ago, Generation Iron, and Kabuki Strength. Andrew is also the host and the co-founder of the sensational Lift Free and Die Hard podcast, where his interviews with international fitness leaders provide both incredible, actionable experience and a roadmap of how to build a high-integrity fitness career. On a personal note, Andrew, like you have done everything the right way, man. Like you're the epitome of a coach's coach. You put in the work in the gym, build connections organically, and have just, it's been exceptional to see the way that you've grown. And you have so much wisdom in everything that you do across the industry. So thank you for making time with your busy schedule. To, uh, to be here today. Eric, I appreciate it. I'm honored to be a guest. Thank you, my friend. Awesome, man. Well, Andrew Coates, how did you get into the fitness industry and really blown up overnight over the last you know 12 years? Proverbial overnight success. You're alluding to the fact that my social media has grown a lot the last two to three years, uh, but I'm 13 years in the industry, so it was a lot of the underlying stuff, but I started as a coach at 32. So I started late in the game, which I think actually you could look at things as, oh, I missed out on all this time, or I have a lot of life experience that actually worked out really well. And I, I choose to take the latter path with it. I was always active in sports growing up as a little kid, uh, cross country skiing, basketball, a bunch of other stuff, anything we, me and my brother, one of my brothers anyway, could get our hands on. Our parents were active. They encouraged us to participate in this stuff. We were very lucky. I lived in a really small town in Northern Newfoundland until I went to university. Um, my parents were way ahead of the curve in terms of home cooked nutritious meals. A lot of time I was very lucky when I grew up. And then getting into university, I went and did a business degree. I was thinking about medical science and stuff, Dr. Root, but ultimately I was more allured by the whole business realm. I got really serious. I dabbled in weight training. I had a bench that my dad bought me when I was a teenager, uh, messed around a little bit during university. I was never consistent with it, but it really stuck at 24. I had a really nasty flu. I lost 10 pounds. I'm 6'2", and I was, after that, I was walking around at 170. I did not feel good. So I said, screw this. I'm going to get serious with the gym. <laughs> Time to get some boom. And... <laughs> Seven months later, I was 210 pounds at that point, natural, and just eating a lot of food, training consistently. I would look over the next rack, and a good friend of mine from university is IFBB Pro, Frank McGrath, very iconic figure in, in the fitness realm. You know, so I, I kind of was around that. I, I grew up on bodybuilding culture, muscle fitness magazine, <clears throat> that sort of stuff, and, you know, turn around years later, I'm writing for them. I, I did still didn't imagine that I would have a career in fitness. I dabbled in, I worked in banking, car sales briefly at one point as a summer job at a university. You? Yeah. Not my, not my thing, by the way, but, you know, illuminating. Um, I owned a nightclub, a martini nightclub. Uh, that was a fun world, but also it came with all the stuff that comes with nightclubs, which actually pulled me a little bit away from consistency with the, you know, the, the hardcore fitness lifestyle. And then I moved across the country. I really did need a change of, of environment and scenery. Um, I worked in in the casino world, poker, poker, dealing poker management for uh, a few years, got really dedicated to the gym after that brief lapse. And then the staff at this gym just kept bugging me, hey, 
why don't you come work here as a trainer? I kept saying no until I finally said yes. Felt completely overwhelmed. Like, how how am I going to do this? I, I don't feel like I know what I'm doing. Um, I look back at that. I, I very viscerally remember that moment, although the next little, you know, next few months are a blur. But I got busy. They filled me up with clients. My clients are renewing. I get, I'm getting referrals. A year in, you know, I'm starting to read T Nation, which you have written for for a really long time. A lot of our friends, like your your Lee Boyces, Tony Gentle, Course, Dean Somersets, but, you know, People like Ben Bruno, Air Crest, you name it, like big figures across the industry, John Berardi, uh, Danny Sugar. Anyway, so, and then I start diving into stuff like uh, Lane Norton's media, nutrition-based stuff, evidence-based nutrition. And that formed a foundation of interest in learning evidence-based stuff. I got on to, found Kevin Larrabee's The Fitcast. I started yep. with Lane Norton's podcast uh, with Sohi Lee, uh, Physique Science Radio, short-lived sort of thing a long time ago. Got into Jeff Nippard's stuff and then Fitcast. And I found out who a lot of the who's who the industry were as I'm also reading Teen Nation every morning and learning who a lot of these figures are. Meanwhile, just busy full-time coach, worked in commercial gym for six years, absolutely crushed it, top session producer in the company year over year over year. And then I chose to leave. Um, the environment really deteriorated. So I went out on my own, my own business, contracting a friend of mine, Jim. I'm still there. That's grown and that's done really well. And now I'm partnered with him in a conference that we did in 2019 and we're rebooting again for October. So that's going to be fun. You know, cool lineup of, of speakers. But in that first year on my own, I decided, all right, I'm going to travel to, you know, this event in Kansas City. The speaker lineup's incredible. That's actually where I met you, you, me, Carter, good, Robbie Farlow sitting down in a hotel room having scotch. But I met a lot of great people from the industry. And that's just broaden your horizons as to <clears throat> doing what, what's possible. You see a guy like Carter blowing up on Instagram with infographics. You know, I kept going back to that event. And I met people like John Goodman, who's become a really good friend. And I kept traveling through the industry events. Um, started a podcast with a good friend, my friend Dean Guido. You appeared on that podcast that's the original form of it it just things kept mushrooming so i started writing for my own website my friend built me a website then i had danny sugar from t nation on as a guest she turned around and she's like hey would you come write for us at t nation i'm like holy shit but all right that's a dream yeah. so that leaned into that and then that led to generation iron and true coach and more stuff and and eventually you know some even bigger things all the while just started getting serious about social media around the end of 2019 gradually 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 growth 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 now all of a sudden like it's it's actually pretty big i you know, comparatively speaking. And this led to also traveling to so many of these fitness conferences, I started getting invited to speak at the ones I'd attended. And then that took off. And so now there's been tons of that. So it's sort of a weird journey. And I yeah. think here's a big thing that I see with coaches, because I mean, I think your audience is probably men and enthusiasts, but at least from the coaching side, I see a lot of trainers in a hurry. They're in a rush. They, they want to blow up their social media and they want to skip a lot of the steps. Most of this stuff was accidental for a very long time. I kept showing up, supporting other people, serving my clientele. I still coach full-time in person. I love it. That's the foundation of all. It's why I get to do all the other cool stuff. I kept getting asked to do really cool things. And I kept saying yes before I felt like I was ready. I'd lean into it. Then I'd figure it out. I worked very hard to figure it out. But it was always focused on how can I still make the other person come out of this interaction, transaction, etc., better than they came in. And if you approach everything in your life this way, give abundance mindset, build a bank of grace with people, as opposed to always taking, always figure out what's in this for me, what's in it for the other person. If you approach everything like that, yes, occasionally somebody will come along and they'll take and they'll you'll get screwed over here and there. But the net good that is going to come back your way right, because people will want to give back to you tenfold. That's been my experience, right? And that ultimately wins out at the end of the day. Definitely. 
And that's one thing that stood out really since our first interaction and, and getting to know you and, and seeing the way that you go about things. You have an open mind and always willing to learn. When you have a conversation, there's not another intention that you can sniff from a mi million miles away that this person is trying to get something out of it. It's truly an authentic connection. And especially in today's, like, today's world, right, where people think that everyone blows up overnight, it's really refreshing to see the way that you have approached first putting the work in the gym and building that foundation, right? 99% of the really good coaches online or in person have a great pedigree of working in the gym with a lot of people and experiencing a lot of different personalities and learning how to communicate and how to be able to take evidence-based information and put it in a way that's practical, sustainable, and digestible. And that comes through with your social media. And definitely with you, I think getting started at 32 as a coach and having this bedrock of experience outside of the fitness industry has probably, that probably built a big foundation. You probably had to get a lot of lumps and scars before you jumped into this new career. And I'm sure now just reflecting back, it's like I learned a lot through these different paths that helped me apply things, both in terms of my own business, but I think the way that you also communicate with people, right? Because I think you get a coach who's 18 years old to go get a certification, start training clients at 19, 20, or they go to college and get their degree. And then they start training people at 21, 22. They're jumping right into this crazy world of social media, trying to build everything up and trying to be a rock star before they're ready. Absolutely. And I mean, I think that someone can start like I've got some great friends who started in the industry very young and they're amazing people and they've done well I it doesn't matter where you accumulate life experience I mean you interact with people I mean as, as a 19 20 year old there's going to be a relatability barrier with like say a 55 year old postmenopausal woman no there, there's probably is going to be right but I mean if you're genuine and you're willing to listen and learn like listening and asking a ton of questions you'll accumulate life experience I think getting out into the world and doing stuff in a variety of different environments I've done some interesting things again I've owned a bar I've lived in that bar scene and that comes with good and a lot of bad <laughs> I spent nearly three years a very long time ago playing way too much World of Warcraft and yet it was fun and I, I don't share this often, but I've got an article on my website about this. I, I was the GM of a guild. And one of my big jobs was like, actually, I probably was one of the best ex piece of experience at like managing and interacting with people, keeping people happy, all the no egos doubt. and the different personalities. And I wouldn't trade that for anything. And also it's cool because over the years, I've had a lot of different types of clients, but I work with a reasonable amount of like software developers, tech types. And traditionally, their world doesn't necessarily feel comfortable within fitness. But here you got this big muscular guy who used to play World of Warcraft, who's talking that language with them. Yeah. So it bridges the gap and then they, they like me. And one of my biggest philosophies when it comes to training, certainly in-person clientele is we take for granted coaches. We take for granted that everybody else doesn't love or find fitness as easy as we do. And we sometimes forget that. I want the person who is coming to see me to like me and the experience more than they dislike working out. That is the starting fundamental principle. If they want to come back and see me, it gets them past the initial soreness, the initial phase of, well, this is this scary, intimidating place that I have all these stereotypes and, and ideas about. And all of a sudden they've been around for a while. And they realize how oh, they see the same familiar faces and nothing's threatening and no one's looking at them and they're getting stronger and they're feeling better and they like what they see in the mirror. And all of a sudden I'm like, ooh, I like this. But to get them over that initial hump, they need to like me and the experience of coming first, even if they dislike the exercise. That's such a big piece of it. You know, I remember, you know, when I was in Colorado getting kind of my start in terms of coaching, especially more in the corporate world. And um, man, the first few clients, I'm like, I've got a few people that I like to work with, but 
how do I find more of them? And I really realized that it was like, listen, people want to work with those who they share interests with. Because when we share an interest, we can communicate on many different levels. And when we can communicate on different levels and share interests, we can definitely have a conversation during a training session that keeps them preoccupied with the fact that they're not, you know, time under tension, 90 seconds on a leg press right now, and they can continue pushing. They continue coming back and conversations become sticky. They remember different things and cues in a different way where it becomes such a great experience for people. They don't just come back for the workout. They come back for the personal connection. And on a business side, obviously, that's great for retention. But from the client's perspective, it provides that third place. It provides that additional place where they have a lot of human connection, they have support, and they have support in a way that they might not be getting in different areas of their life. Um, one thing I've personally noticed, especially over the last few years, you know, just a lot of higher stress levels directly with uh, with clients, um, interpersonal issues, stress doesn't differentiate, right? We have allostatic load, which is stress from all these different sources really hits our body the same. It can't differentiate. I found that personally, like, my skills as a coach have evolved, not just from trying to be the expert in terms of like human metabolism and training and so on and so forth. But it's like, how can I help people in these other areas to be able to make better connections, to be able to reduce stress and to be able to stay more congruent with the person that they want to be. And that bedrock though only comes from meeting people where they are and keeping them consistent and building that relationship. I mean, again, that's something that comes out very clearly with your content. And, you know, we were shooting the shit for a couple of minutes before we, we hit record. And I view you as a philosopher of fitness of sorts, because you have such a bedrock of wisdom that you can impart and create connections that people can understand, both that's incredibly wise for other coaches to look up to you as, as a mentor, but also for people who are somewhat new to the fitness industry to look at this and be like, hey, that makes sense. One thing that I saw you post the other day was like, you are one action step away from a different life and a better outcome. This decision could be at any time and it may start small and it could be very innocuous, but it could compound into a life altering decision. Do not discount the power of small actions. Can you elaborate on that a little bit more? I, I can think about my own personal you know, journey with this stuff. Right? Yeah. The, the decision, all right, you know, I'm, I felt really sick. I don't feel good like this anymore. I'm going to, you know, get back to the gym. Right. So I can't remember if I already had that membership. I think I had joined the gym. So the action of joining the gym. Right. And I mean, it's got to be more than that, but it starts with the action of joining the gym and going in and hitting that first workout, not looking at the entire vastness of the mountain in front of you. It is the proverbial, Hey, let's take the next step in front of me, link steps together, you know, some basic nutritional stuff. I started, I had to eat more food and I started cooking a little bit more at home. Now, luckily at the time I had the bandwidth and I had the environment where that worked. Took just a few of those basic actions. It just so happened that they stuck. Nothing's going to stick if you don't take that first action. And because I felt good and rewarded by the process, I wanted to do more of it. At, at the various career junctures, again, the action of, I really, really enjoy the idea of writing. So, you know, it's writing that first article. It's showing up to, to write a few articles and, of course, getting on a plane and making the commitment to travel to that event, which is where not only did I meet you, but I met Lou Schuler. Right. And Lou is a well-known editor, you know, former editor for a bunch of very big publications. So he all of a sudden is looking at what I'm doing with writing. Another event that I went in 2018 through a connection I made at the event I met you at, I met a friend of mine named Mike Howard. And Mike's a great guy, still a friend of the state. I didn't realize that Mike was one of the people that chose articles for Personal Trainer Development Center when they did their weekly best articles, John Goodman's website. All of a sudden, I've got Mike and these other people all on social media. And so Mike and Lou, who are both affiliated with PTDC at the time, are both seeing what I'm writing. And then all of a sudden, I get this notification that one of my articles have been chosen for the weekly best list. Cool. More exposure, right? Um, it's the action of saying yes to Dean asking me to start a podcast and then doing these, doing these. That built up to the point 
point where I had a touch point with someone who turns out is a T Nation editor, right? I think we get, we overthink things. I think we overcomplicate things. I think we look mm-hmm. at the big picture. We look at the enormity of the task. And I, I think we really have to scale that back. We have to look at what's right in front of us. And if anybody's really struggling and overwhelmed by one of those things, like every, anybody listening right now, there's probably something that you're working on that you're struggling with. And you probably feel like you've dug yourself a little bit of a hole. Lord knows the last couple of years, last say three-ish years, a lot of people had setbacks from previous lifestyle behavior. And you look at it and go, wow, I know... I put in all that effort in the past, and now I feel like I'm back to square one. You're not. You still have all the skills. You have all the knowledge, and it's easier to bounce back because you've done it before. So it just becomes making that first step, and it may be, okay, it's time to join the gym. It's time to um, make a – maybe it's downloading my fitness pal and and logging meals today. It's, it's whatever small action that gets you a little bit of momentum to realize, you know, hey, this isn't as – bad and it were as hard as I made it out to be. Alex Hormozzi talks about this a lot, how he always used the example of like building his website and how he, you know, would spend, I think he was like delaying doing this thing for a mm-hmm. very long time, built it up in his mind. And then when he finally said, all right, that's it, he sat down and I think it was like four hours he'd figured out and got it done, but it had taken him, and I think in this particular example, it might've been a, a couple of years. I think he said four years it took him I think to it was do it. four years. Yeah of just like having this thing sitting in his brain, becoming this mountain, this really intimidating, overwhelming task that was filling him with anxiety. It certainly it fills us with anxiety. And then he sat down and said, screw this and applied himself and, and got the whole thing done very quickly. How many of us have also done this? How many listeners right now have some task that they've built up to massive enormity? They're experiencing daily anxiousness about it. When if you just said, screw this, I'm going to start, start small, it would wash away the anxiety and it would eliminate the the scariness of the, the, the whole task. I see this in business a lot. You know, when I was doing a lot more consulting individually with trainers on the business side, it was, Eric, I've been going back and forth on starting my business. What should I do for a logo and colors? That's the last thing you need to worry about right now, right? It's, it's a very small detail. What we need to do is start getting clear on who we want to help and providing value. And from that, the rest of the details will become clear. And it's something now in particular in the way that media tends to go out and the way that things can be so click driven where we get a lot of people consuming so many different ideas and collecting tips and then having this smorgasbord of different ideas and things that they could implement, but not knowing what to do and then being frozen despite having a lot of surface level knowledge. And the big takeaway is start here now. Start with what you do have because you're never going to have the perfect plan. You're never going to know all the details. And the only way you're going to get better is by getting those reps in. And when you start to get your reps in on whatever it is, the rest of that path, the bricks start to lay in front of you. And then you can start to pick your head up. And then you can see where the path is going. If we want to talk about the proverbial, proverbial mountain, as you mentioned before, it only happens when you start taking those steps, man. And it's wild where it can lead you, but you just have to take that action, even if you're not sure on what it is. And it can be that small decision that has a profound compound effect on the rest of your life. The time's going to pass anyway, right? So would you rather spend that time with this anxiousness about wanting the thing and this dissatisfaction of not doing anything? Because we internalize and we feel terrible when we are procrastinating from something, right? And the bigger we build it up to be, the more anxiety it will produce. So we can release a lot of that anxiety by taking the step toward it. Like try it, everybody listening, think about like, what is one thing right now that like you've got everybody listening, if you're listening to Eric, chances are you're actually doing really well, but there's that thing. And it might be something to do with your nutrition. It might be your relationship with something like alcohol. It could be a relationship with smoking. Maybe there's drug use. I don't know, like, hey, listen, I've been there. I don't talk about this on my media almost ever, but you know, with the nightclub comes a wild lifestyle, right? Yeah. And you know, there's, there's no judgment with this stuff. 
right? Maybe it's something in your career, your business, what have you. There's something and that's causing you anxiety and it feels uncomfortable to think about it. Even now that I'm prompting you, you're like, I don't want to think about that. That that feels unpleasant. I would rather pretend that's not a thing. It's a thing. Okay, cool. Resolve to make a choice right now, today, do the simple, smallest action that will move you toward alleviating the anxiety and changing the circumstance that is ripping you apart from the inside. There, simple as that. I'll start. Yeah. Action alleviates anxiety. So many cases we get paralyzed by it. And when in reality, if we just take a simple step to go forward, it has such a profound difference, right? And I like that. I have to give credit for that one to, uh, to Craig Ballantyne. Action alleviates anxiety, but it's true. Um, I even think, you know, different times in business when I've looked at things and be like, Hey, I've, I've got to do something. This thing is driving me nuts. What I do is I budget a big period of time, whether that means I got to get up at 3.30 or 4 in the morning to do it, and then I just attack it head on. And all of a sudden, I'm like, I have a lot more clarity now in a much better spot. It works. Whether we're talking fitness, we're talking business, we're talking relationship thing, it's in much the same way that maybe a difficult conversation people don't want to have with with a partner, a spouse, a friend will just kind of fester. The same thing happens with the anxiety that builds from maybe decision that we're not making, that we know that we have to make. You know, And so while you're not going to get it perfect right away, while there are going to be roadblocks, there's going to be times when you fuck up. This is how life goes. You still have to take those steps and you just get right back on the horse and you keep going, right? And it's so important to start developing that mindset. And for a lot of people, they're looking for this hit of motivation, this one thing that's going to push them over the edge to start taking action. I hate to say it, but there's not one thing that's going to do that. It's going to be your action, right? Motivation is manifested through taking actions towards something. And as that snowball gets going, then you build motivation via action. But it doesn't just pop up out of nowhere or today's the day I'm going to you know, fix my diet. Today's the day I'm going to just cold turkey with, with alcohol, whatever it is, right? It's a small set of actions that start to build momentum in the right direction. And then we roll. And I think that's an important concept to break through. And how often do people say, I'll do it tomorrow? I'll do it Monday. I mean, we know that's cliche at this point, but there's an underlying thing going on there. You're deflecting to a future point that you do not have to take responsibility for in this moment. Because what happens? Tomorrow arrives, except tomorrow becomes today. But what do we do? We say, oh, I'll start tomorrow. So in effect, tomorrow never comes. And we perpetually deflect the responsibility to take this action to the future self. There's, there's all sorts of really cool stuff on this where people, you know, they could choose to, it's been done in like pick a movie that they want to watch, right? And they get a choice between, you know, a, a popcorn, you know, fun movie, or maybe it's something more serious. Maybe it's something like, uh, God, what, what is that classic Morgan Freeman? Um, good Lord. The prison one, I've actually never seen it, which is sort of like criminal. Shawshank tape. Redemption. Thank you. Shawshank Redemption. Yeah, there we go. Stuff like that. Like, you know, your Oscar, Oscar worthy stuff. And what people will do is given the choice to say, okay, like, you know, you can choose a movie to watch, you know, in 30 days, right? Some future self. Oh, the intention is to watch something that's high quality Oscar worthy, right? But if they're given a choice of what to watch right in front of them right now, and listen, there's nothing wrong with choosing John Wick. I would choose John Wick in both cases, but we're going to choose John Wick, right? Um, and the same thing goes with nutrition, right? If if someone has to choose a meal, like if you've ever been a guest at a wedding or, you know, like some sort of event and you have to choose your meal in advance, well, cool. You know, you were great at choosing the healthy option, right? In the moment, let's order some Uber Eats. Let's get a burger. Let's let's do what have you. And that, that phenomenon manifests almost everywhere. We set the intention that we think that future self will be more motivated to do the thing 
than current self. So we actually push it off to future self. But when tomorrow arrives and, and future self is now current self, it's more of the same. So I think if we could recognize that, I mean, we can use this to our advantage because anything that we can choose for future self and lock in, then that future self is bound to that decision. That's actually a very smart strategy. Like do yeah. that where you can. But we also have to stop deflecting to future self and say, hey, what I do right now is a kindness and a gift to my future self. Think about this, everybody listening, we're talking about like one small action now. What's one small action you took five, 10, two years ago, six months ago, that led to the cascade of behavior that completely changed the trajectory of your life. Maybe it was a career decision, maybe it was a relationship decision, maybe it was a health decision. Maybe someone in here quit drinking, maybe they quit smoking. How grateful are you that your past self did that because you today are completely vulnerable at the mercy of the things that past self chose. Future self, five years from now, is completely and utterly at the mercy of the choices you make today. And we are not good, evolutionarily wired to seek pleasure in the now, resources in the now, consume, you know, food, like high calorie food in the now. Like that's that's the thing. Go read The Hungry Brain if you want to understand more of that by Stefan Guinea. So we weren't necessarily wired to think about retirement, right? Like our idea of retirement now, we're living long past what our ancestors actually like had as a life expectancy. So like there's no a very doubt. different dynamic here. It, it's not necessarily natural for us to think about, ooh, I, I need to make sure that I have a lot of resources for and, and great health for me 20 years down the road. So that's an abstract concept. But what do we do? We hum If we can humanize ourselves and the action of just pause and think about you, visualize you, Picture you, an older version of yourself. These these aging apps are actually kind of a clever exercise. Yeah, they are. Doing this. Kind of terrifying. Totally, but it works. And then there's a real person in front of you, right? You humanize that person. It's kind of the phenomenon where, you know, there's a million sh starving children in Africa and we're ambivalent, right? It's a statistic. Yep. But what do World Vision and all these other things do with their, their commercials? They show you a single starving child, right? The actual conditions, you see, you see it in their eyes. And that's f far more likely to get people to take an action to give and donate because we're seeing the human being versus the statistic versus the abstract. So if we can humanize ourself, our future self, and go, the things that I'm eating, the things that I'm consuming, the things that I'm doing, the inactivity today is actually gonna disproportionately punish and impact that future self. It may be another catalyst for you to make slightly better decisions on average and slightly better decisions on average is going to make a major impact across a long enough time horizon. Definitely across the board, man. And like a big thing that I've noticed too, you know, a lot of my clients these days, 35, 40, 50, 55, some even 60. But a lot of times what the catalyst is, is it's them reflecting on somebody else in their lives who's actually gone through maybe a health crisis or a health experience that they don't want to model for their kids or for somebody else. But unfortunately, a lot of times it takes somewhat of a wake up call and having that reality in their face for a lot of people to see what is happening. And in many cases, people have done decades of harm to their health, to their body before they even get to that point. And so being able to pull back and reflect back on, like you said, a previous decision that you made that was really an inflection point in your life that changed the trajectory of your health, of your career, of your relationships, and see, hmm, am I grateful for that experience? Looking at health through that same lens can be such a powerful experience to really get people to, to have a different perspective on the things that they're doing. And again, it doesn't mean you have to be perfect with it, but can you start making those decisions that'll be a little bit better right now because they're gonna compound over time and can lead to such a dramatic transformation. Something to think about, <laughs> something to think about. What else you got for me? Yeah, man. And so when it comes to making a lot of these transformations, the gym isn't just obviously about building muscle, right? A lot of people will 
head to the gym and are like, you know what? I don't want to be one of those bulky bodybuilders. You know, I don't want to get too ripped. Something you allude to on a regular basis is how the gym can be so much more than building muscle, strength, health, stamina, or even flexibility. Like to you, what else do you see the gym as representing? It's almost a sanctuary for, for many people. I'm going to go on a little side quest here because you're alluding to some of the posts I make. This is a little content creation strategy. And I mean, this is for coaches and this is also for the everyday person. A lot of people really struggle with like how to express things on social media. You're trying to create social currency for other people. One of the best ways for a post to do well and get in front of more people is if people share it, right? That's literally what we're doing. And if you get good at like, I study writing, love it. Uh, but if you get good at formulating ideas and, and the way you express them, you're giving people social currency. What do they do? It's it's about how they feel when they see it, but it's about, ooh, I can share this with my people. So social currency with their followers, their network, and that's actually a really key part of social media growth and social media strategy. Now, taking the stuff we believe that's resonant and that will resonate with other people. we I think many of us, and I think a lot of people that you work with, especially because a lot of your media is based around aesthetics. What is looking good do? It makes us feel better emotionally, gives us greater confidence, often and up to a point, great for mental health. We do know there are these grifters in the fitness industry now. People are grifting on this particular notion that there's this boogeyman of, oh, if you you know take fitness too seriously, the, all this terrible mental health stuff and physical, whatever it is like, I'll be careful how I say this, but there are people who built a brand off of being ripped, jacked, who are now, like, that's how they did it are now grifting on this narrative, this is somehow a bad thing. It's like, yep. I understand the truth in it, but I think it's actually like totally disingenuous to have built your media entirely based upon that. And now you're turning around and like- Flipping it on your audience too, by the way. Yeah, and, and I know what they're doing. They're totally pandering to a, a certain type of audience. And I'm like, I, I just don't, I don't, I'm not interested in playing that game, right? Mental health is a growing theme with all this stuff. I think we also tend to, the stages that we're going through, the things that are sharp in our minds are also going to be things that we start to talk about in our media. And we think it's representative of everything. But I do get the general sense that more and more people are caring about their metabolic health. I think the events of the last few years really crystallized that. I think, you know, people saw, okay, cool, there's this terrible thing that's actually disproportionately killing and and maiming people who are have very poor metabolic health. Let's do something about that. And let's actually like be active. Let's eat better. So that way we're less susceptible to this, this danger, right? If that's a motivator, fine, right? It's like you mentioned the word scars earlier. I'll use Alex Hormozzi's quote. Like, you know, you get the lessons without the scars. If we, if we see terrible shit happening around us, that's a tragedy. But it's also twice the tragedy if we don't then use it to change our behavior so that we have a better outcome, right? And I believe that. A lot of fitness industry media is also very much about the aesthetic side of stuff. And I think that's fine. I, I don't believe in policing what other people do because there's a message for everybody. Like, I think people will self-select to it. Like, we've got people in our world. Um, Tanner Shuck is another teenation guy. Tanner's stuff is brutal tough love. It is unvarnished, brutal. Yep. Screw you, this, right? And there are going to be people out there who are not going to like that message. And then there's going to be the person who cries about it and says, that needs to go away. That shouldn't be on the internet. It's like, no, it's just not for you. Go find something fluffy that speaks to you better. <laughs> no and, and let the people, like, if you get into Tanner's comments, there are a lot of people, a lot of men who are like, I needed this. Thank you, Tanner. You're awesome, right? Like, you know, his messaging is blunt. It is unvarnished, but there's an audience for it. And it's helping people so cool. As, as long as we're not getting into malevolent extremes of, you know, nastiness and shaming on either side of the spectrum, which there's plenty of that exists. Yeah. Quite frankly, it's like the people who like cry about 75 hard. Like it's this terrible thing. It's, it's like their narrative. No, it's just not for you. 
like I don't endorse it. I don't throw it around and say, hey, everybody goes needs to go do this. I've never tried it. it. It it's not my speed. Probably wouldn't be the thing that most of my followers would be interested in. But guess what? There are people out there who are actually like seeing benefits from it. Leave it the hell alone. If your whole media is ripping down what other people are doing, you're probably an awful person. I'm gonna be honest with you, right? So Yeah. Well now, you, know, you mentioned that though, right? And I remember having a conversation, I believe it was with John Romanello about this. And it was like, think of all the crazy, dumb shit we all did when we first started training. And this is before social media, before everybody, when they're 14, started putting their deadlifts up to get likes. Everything out of the book that could be wrong, did wrong. Every diet thing that could go wrong, went wrong. I was following two-hour-long bodybuilding workouts before I could do five pull-ups. You know, <laughs> had shitty form on everything. And so I think now that there's a lot more pressure on people thinking that they need to perform based on some of the theatrics when you got, for lack of a better term, douchebags bring their tripods and in, in the gym, like the 24 hour gym and filming everything that they do. And then making videos, making fun of somebody in the background is doing something incorrectly nice. that people are scared to make a mistake. You know, I was actually, I was having a conversation with a uh, division one coach earlier today. Um, he asked me to keep his identity confidential on this. He's like, you know what? He's like, one thing I have to tell my athletes all the time is like, are you willing to be embarrassed for 30 seconds to have a lesson you can take for the rest of your life? And I feel like there's such a pressure for people to try to be perfect right away. And there's such a pressure for people to not have somewhat of a beginner's mindset and to latch onto these super polarizing ideas that it's only this way or only that way without taking some action and being okay with not being perfect right away. Because I know for me personally, the mistakes that I made have crafted the character, have crafted the coach that I am today. And I'm sure you probably noticed the same with yourself. Oh, absolutely. Like there are those little things where you made a mistake with a client along the way that just eats at you. Did that scar make you a better coach? Hopefully, yes, right? We all know the coaches that just don't learn, they repeat the same mistakes. <laughs> but at the same time, like internalizing it to the point where you know you can't function is also not valuable either. You just need to get better. That's it. And you know, there is a flavor for everybody. It helps to have an open mind to a lot of these different areas and think, what can I take away from this? And what context is this appropriate? What context does it work? Whereas now, again, one thing that drives me a little bit, bit nuts is you see people railing on about fad diets, this diet, this diet. Listen, there's a difference if you got keto Carl and everything is about keto and nothing else works. And like, that's the whole identity of somebody. However, at the same time, like I like to take the perspective 99% of the time, not, not 100% of the time, but almost every tool, almost every diet strategy can be something that can be used if there's context behind it. And it's like, do you know what tool to use at what time and how to use it? And a lot of times right now, it's like people decide to be so polarizing with their content where it's, I've got to make this point. I've got to reinforce this point. I have to stick this point because it's congruent with my brand without any room for nuance and context to be applied. And with that, this absolute nature can do very well for some people on social media for sure. But it can also create a divide where I thought this was right. I thought this was right. Now I don't know what to do. So I'm going to do nothing. And so that's the fine line that's difficult, I think, for, for coaches to walk. And it's also difficult for people who are consuming fitness content, trying to get in better shape to take information and actually apply it. You alluded to something there. And I like this. There's this negativity about diets. And we know traditionally the idea of, you know, highly restricted dieting without a plan or the people who approach dieting fat loss as this long term. This is now my life. This is what I have to do. Willpower until they fail and they fail spectacularly. And then they binge and they overconsume. And um, at the same time, it's also combined with probably no resistance training. Maybe there's not a lot of protein. They're losing muscle mass. So therefore, they're losing metabolic capacity. And then they 
eat a whole lot, they gain a large amount of body fat, yet their metabolism under certain conditions doesn't necessarily go back up to where it was. And then you repeated cycles. That's bad. Like that shit. That's bad. Yeah. It doesn't make all dieting bad. If you diet with a plan and with intention over a period of time with an intention to go back to maintenance because you have a coach, you have a plan, you know what the hell you're doing, and then you go through phases of maintenance, fat loss, maintenance, fat, maintenance, fat loss, maybe there's some muscle building stuff in there because you have a long-term vision. That actually is very effective, very scientific. And then there again, there are talking heads within the fitness industry. And I'm going to be real blunt here because this is, you know, just for the listener, you'll recognize this stuff. These are usually fairly useless individuals and unremarkable people who haven't accomplished much of anything in their career. So they grab onto a brand, you alluded to that, and that brand becomes, there are people who I, I'm fine with who use the word anti-diet in their stuff, but there's a lot of people, when I see the word anti-dieting, I'm usually going, all right, this this is an ideologue. This is not really an evidence-based person. This is someone who's pandering to ideology. Everything is negative about diets and diet culture. When we, when we Usually when we see the phrase diet culture, usually not always, usually that's a bit of a red flag, because they're representing everything I think that is reasonable and they're lumping it in with the worst marketers and the worst behaviors that we, you and I even agree are bad. But we can't throw out the baby with the bathwater on this one. So just be careful with people who it's fairly clear that they are talking to an ideological community and that community and, and they're saying these blanket, you know, black and white statements that all dieting is bad that and then usually it's accompanied with some of the the more extreme stuff at the health and any size uh end of the spectrum which there's there's some yeah. dangerous lies in that one especially you know the the people who start to say things like there's no relationship between someone's level of adiposity and their metabolic health that's that's complete fabrication that's a lie that's an ideological lie that's a dangerous one that is not to say that there is a one-to-one -one relationship with your level of body fat and your metabolic health you can someone who has a lot of body fat on if they start doing a lot of resistance training and good cardiovascular training, and let's say the weight's not coming up as quickly, they are improving their metabolic health, 100%. No doubt. Not everybody needs, to, we don't need to say to people, hey, listen, you need to lose weight, you know, to, to be healthier. But there's a very strong relationship between your level of adiposity and your long-term metabolic health and your long-term risk of certain lifestyle disease, especially diabetes and heart disease. And those things are very well established. And there are people that will scream at you and they're nasty people. They're wild. To say that this stuff isn't true. I train a cardiologist and these people drive him crazy. <laughs> I can only imagine. And, you know, I got to even be careful in what, what forums I'm even having these conversations because the, these people generally lack nuance. And of course, we get people on the other end of the spectrum who are not helping, who are just like a lot of really aggressive shame-based messaging. At the end of the day, I just want people to actually have the tools to change your life. So if they voluntarily decide, hey, I don't like what I see in the mirror. I am overweight. I do not like having this amount of body fat. My energy sucks. I don't feel good. Let's actually make it easy for you to get started so that way you feel better. And if fat loss is your goal, I want to give you an evidence-based plan that helps you sustain it, not to lecture you and say, no, you're wrong. This is healthy, but you don't feel healthy. That message is dangerous. No doubt. No doubt. <laughs> yeah, there's some uh, there's some wild ones for sure out in the uh, the industry and they will latch at anything that they can and both a blessing and a curse that the industry has really evolved into there are some very skilled marketers. Um, skilled marketers do not mean skilled coaches. That's um, a very fine line to to differentiate. So my best advice here, and this can kind of be a parting thought and feel free to jump on the back end of this is like, be curious, don't be judgmental, right? And so when something doesn't pass a smell test, just ask why. 
if somebody tends to be very combative with their answer on it, say if it's common on a piece of social media, instead of open to discussing, there's a pretty good chance they're a little bit too much of an ideologue and not as focused on helping provide the nuance that is necessary to make this a beneficial piece of content for you. Absolutely. And ideologues show up in, in all forms. Like, again, I consider myself to be very evidence-based and there are a lot of very smart evidence-based practitioners. And there are people who I like a lot, but they're also very combative. And you have to take a closer look. A good example, someone might think I'm talking about, say, sort of like a Lane Norton, right? Lane, I, I like. Lane, I actually have a ton of respect for. And I think he's a great science communicator. He's aggressive, he's media. But again, like I just said that. If that's not for you, don't, don't plug into it. I'm not talking about Lane here. There are other people who are so dogmatic and tribal within evidence-based that they're actually no longer evidence-based because their opinions will not move with the evidence in the <laughs> evidence. And then they still, the evidence-based people are still cherry picking evidence that supports their narrative and their belief system, right? And those are the ones to be a little cautious about because I've seen evidence-based tribes that are terrible communicators. They like to police what other people say. If you see this happening, well, maybe if their messaging is not for you, it's okay to unfollow this stuff. Follow the people, plug into the stuff that's actually helping you, right? Yeah, it makes such a big difference. You got to find who communicates in a way that that rolls with your personality, right? That's such an important piece. Comes back to what we discussed in the beginning. Doesn't care what somebody knows until they know how much you care. And the first way that somebody communicates with it to know that they care is through their actions and the words and meeting you at your level. And if that communication style isn't your level, that's fine. Just might not be for you. Andrew, dude, thank you so much for making time here. Where can we find out more about you? My pleasure, Eric. Thanks for having me on again. Um, all roads go through Instagram at Andrew Coates Fitness. If anybody has questions, I respond to all DMs. That's important to me. You will find all my other media on my Instagram. Awesome. Thanks, brother. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Hey, it's Eric here again. Now, there are three ways that I can help you look great naked. Number one, if you want to grab a free copy of the Look Great Naked Protocol to help you lose body fat without counting calories, then go to bachperformance.com backslash free training. Number two, if you're a busy guy looking to build muscle, then I recommend checking out our Minimalist Muscle Blitz, which has helped over 1,000 men build muscle without living in the gym. Just go to minimalistmuscleblitz.com. The link will also be available in the show notes. Or number three, and last, if you want to work with me directly and get the best results possible, apply at bachperformance.com backslash coaching to look great naked without living in the gym. Until next time, my friend. 